You are listening to National Security Law Today. I'm Elisa Poteet, and welcome to National Security Law Today, the podcast of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security. We are now into our series on TikTok and China's sometimes uneven efforts at foreign influence. Recent surveys have shown that Americans are spending more time on TikTok than they are on any other social media platform by a wide margin. That is more than 95 minutes a day, which is less than Europeans who are spending about 99 minutes a day. And if you like other platforms like Instagram, you're still on TikTok because many of the videos that you find on other platforms are TikTok videos. So like other platforms, TikTok vacuums up personal data. Nothing is free. You are the product, folks. And in recent congressional testimony, we learned that TikTok, of course, is owned by China-based ByteDance and is the subject to something that we've talked about before, which is China's cybersecurity law which enables the Chinese Communist Party, the CCP, the government to access information held by companies located in China or Chinese companies, basically upon request. So while CFIUS has taken notice of TikTok and Congress has made noise about it, there appears now to be bipartisan interest in doing something to limit the possible dangers of TikTok. But what would that really look like? And would it have any efficacy at all? And would it survive judicial review? So these are big questions, and that means that we need to talk to a big thinker with a lot of national security experience. So, of course, we called on Glenn Gerstel, who is the former general counsel of the National Security Agency, and whose name I repeatedly butcher, but he's a wonderful guy. You should know that not only was he general counsel at NSA, but he's also written a lot on the intersection of technology and national security, including recent article in the New York Times, which will hyperlink which directly discussed TikTok, but he's also written earlier articles on disinformation, a very important topic, and those were in The New Yorker, one of my favorite magazines, and I still get it in paper, and it piles up sometimes. But Glenn, it is great to have you here tonight. For the second time, guest number two, you've been here twice. Thank you. I'm absolutely delighted to be back. Let's talk a little bit about what we've seen recently, at least in Senate hearings, which you know are a bit of theater. I think we all understand. But back in September of 2022, the chief operating officer of TikTok, Vanessa Pappas, and I forget where she was prior to that. And in her testimony, she stated, and I'll quote her here, we do not have employees based in China. And she also said, we have very strict access controls around the type of data that they can access and where the data is stored, which is here in the United States. And we've also said under no circumstances would we give that data to China. There were groans and eye rolls, of course, on the floor, actually, when she said that. But how do you react to her claim? And more broadly speaking, what in your perception and with your long-term experience, what do you think are the real dangers of TikTok? Her comment was part of TikTok's overall campaign for the first uh, last year or two, pushing back on assertions by the U.S. government, principally the intelligence community, that TikTok does present a national security risk. The company has pushed back on those claims, saying, no, it's not true. These are hyped, overblown, et cetera. And yet, I think if you look at the facts, which we'll examine right now, I think there really is a lot of merit to saying that TikTok does indeed represent a national security threat to the United States. 
But let me very quickly follow that up by saying I don't think that's the end of the inquiry, because I think we need to examine exactly what is the level of that threat, how serious is it, and what are the solutions that we might employ to address that threat. Taking a step back, the feeling is that TikTok represents a threat in two principal areas. One is the possibility that due to its ultimate Chinese ownership by ByteDance, to which you've referred, the Communist Party of China, the CCP, could direct the PRC government under the laws of the People's Republic of China to direct ByteDance and its subsidiary TikTok to turn over user data of Americans. That's certainly one concern. The second concern is that also under direction of the CCP and the PRC, TikTok could be in effect forced to alter its algorithms and its content so that it pushes either misinformation or affirmative disinformation, perhaps at a time of crisis, perhaps not, that would tend to favor the Chinese view of things against what Americans want. So those two concerns, user data being siphoned off to China and the possibility of American public opinion being manipulated are the national security threats. When we recognize that TikTok says, no, 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 that's not true, we need to look at the underlying facts. And I think there are three areas where we see concerns. One, we've already talked about, and that's real simple. That's the corporate structure. The fact of the matter is that TikTok is, in fact, owned by a Chinese entity, indeed, a, an entity that is very close to the CCP. Two, we know what the laws of China say and how China has implemented those laws. The 2017 National Intelligence Law of China requires that all Chinese entities, which would include their controlled subsidiaries such as TikTok, to be responsible for the national security of China and to aid and assist the national intelligence organizations of the Chinese government. And that would include handing over any information that's requested by them. TikTok would not have the legal power under Chinese law to say no to that. And the third, and here's the area that I think is the most concerning and most damaging and takes away the claims of TikTok that everything's okay, is if we look at Chinese intent and behavior in this area, it is an extremely sorry record. We could spend an entire podcast on it, but we all know that China has very different standards and values. This is a government that promotes disinformation both internally and externally. Look, for example, no further than how they've stonewalled and lied about the origins of the COVID outbreak that killed 7 million people around the world. We look at their track record in suppressing uh, ethnic minorities. We look at Chinese record of stealing intellectual property from uh, European and American industry. We look at their record of fomenting cyber attacks and cyber hacks, their, their whole very dismal record on cybersecurity election interference, including most recently some news about possible interfering in the Canadian recent election. And then, of course, just very simply, the fact that there's extraordinary levels of censorship within China. And we have to look no further than the fact that they don't even allow TikTok in China. So their standards and values are very different. And so it's very easy to see with those standards and values how they could manipulate TikTok in a way that would be a threat to our national well-being. Those three problems are massive. Let's talk more about, there have been so many recent actions. You certainly mentioned CSIS, which is the Canadian Intelligence Service, 
recently issuing a report that said that there was Chinese meddling involved in, I believe, parliamentary type of elections, Congress level elections right now in Canada, to just your point, those who would be more favorable in terms of their proposed legislation and Belshenshone, if you will, toward China. But Europe and the US seem to have come together on this quite well. They've all, both EU and US, have banned the use of TikTok on government phones. And I've also downloaded, or outlawed rather, the downloading of the TikTok app on government phones. So knowing that that was a priority for the U.S. government, what does this suggest about TikTok? And was that the right way to handle government phones over which I guess a lot of sensitive information arguably passes? Sure. I think that's a key question. And that's a distinction that we should examine about TikTok on government phones versus TikTok in the general population. So you would think from my earlier comment, pointing out the different standards and values that China has and the vast differences in my concern over their national intelligence law, that I would be in favor of a flat ban on the use of TikTok. I'm not. But there are areas where I do think such a ban makes sense. For example, if you use TikTok, your location data is known to TikTok, potentially available, as I said, ultimately to the Chinese authorities should they request it. I might add no evidence they've done so thus far, but they certainly could. I think it makes perfect sense when you balance the, the risks involved and the, and the rewards, so to speak, for governments to ban TikTok on government-owned phones. Certainly the military, the United States military has had in place a ban on the use of TikTok on government phones and for people in active duty while on active duty uh, because of concerns over location data and other information being gathered that would be advantageous uh, as a strategic matter. And so I think that's why we've seen over 30 states now ban TikTok on government phones, because I think there is a, a real risk of data such as user data, most notably location data, could fall into the wrong hands. And that indeed could produce a strategic outcome change in favor of China. That's also why the EU has taken the same step, banning the device on diplomats' phones in the European Union. Interestingly enough, however, the United Kingdom has not. And here's one of our absolutely closest allies that has come to a different point in making the sort of risk-reward decision on banning TikTok. So right now in the UK, um, a number of UK ministers use TikTok actively, a number don't. Sir Jeremy Fleming, the head of the GCHQ, which is sort of the analog to NSA in the United States, has said that he wouldn't use TikTok, but he thinks if his teenagers want to use it, it's okay. He'd caution them about data usage and being sensitive about it. And I think that's, a, again, another example of a sort of a nuanced approach to this. I think we need to take a step back, recognize that TikTok has the ability to collect your information about where you are. It potentially also has the ability to collect information about what websites you use. It, in theory, has the ability to collect keystroke data, meaning actually what you type on your phone or your computer, your laptop, and that would be very pernicious. There's Again, TikTok says they don't do that. I believe them. I suspect they probably don't. That seems a little excessive. Their goal is to get information for advertising purposes. They want to get as much information about the user as they can for advertising purposes. And that's a tremendous amount of information. I'll just close this point by saying TikTok collects information about you, even if you never use the app, you never log into it, you never download it, TikTok knows something about you. Why? Because of their pervasive approach to data collection, they've embedded what are called pixels in probably the top 1,000 most visited websites on the World Wide Web that send information 
and collect information back to TikTok about someone who uses a completely unrelated website so that when, as, and if you become a TikTok subscriber, they'll have a little bit of information about you. So there's no question that for government usage, military usage, that level of data collection is a genuine problem. You can imagine maybe the average American listening to you and hearing what you said, which I thought was a very critical fact, which is TikTok's not even allowed in China. You know, they must be scratching their heads right now and saying, so why don't we just get rid of this thing altogether? Why not ban it fully from all phones in the United States? And what's the real downside? If the function of TikTok is to make a guy in China and the people who own part of TikTok wealthy, if that's all that, it, what good is there from it? And why not just ban it from all phones in the United States? So I think it'd be pretty substantial. And I think we need to look at it. This is one of these areas where today's politics doesn't allow too much of a nuanced or careful compromise. But I think that is precisely what the situation's called for. And I'll get into why I feel that way. But you know, I think we need to look at what the strategic risk is by using TikTok. As I said, in the case of a military official, a government phone with sensitive data, if you work for the CIA or the NSA, I think absolutely you should definitely not have TikTok on your phone, not only your location data, but other information about you. A dossier could be built about you if China wanted to do that. And that risk, even if it's a low risk, that's not a risk we should accept. By contrast, you know, two out of three American teenagers use TikTok. There are 100 million users in the United States, Americans who use TikTok and find it informative and helpful and funny. And I might add, that also includes the US government and state governments, many of whom use TikTok to get across their message. When President Biden a couple of months ago announced with a signing and celebrated the signing of the Inflation Reduction Act, who did he invite to the White House lawn to that ceremony but a bunch of TikTok influencers with big followers on their platform? So there's no question it's valuable. And so what if China, in fact, was able to steal information about American teenage dance moves um, is that going to really produce a strategic outcome change for them? No. Military? Yes, different things. So let's let's look then at why it makes sense to not fully ban the app. As I said, it does clearly have value. So we're taking something away from 100 million Americans. I might add the last time we took something that was addictive away from a very large percentage of the population, it was called prohibition and didn't work out all that well. Not that this compares, but I think there are five or six reasons very quickly. One, most importantly, we win, America wins when we show the world that we're open and transparent. And if we ban this kind of app, it looks a little closer to the authoritarian model of China or Turkey or pick whatever country you want, which bans stuff it doesn't like, putting it in real simple terms. And that's not a good look for us. We already know what China bans. China bans Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, Twitter, WhatsApp, Google, Quora, Dropbox, et cetera. So we don't want to go down that path. Number two, it creates a precedent in the United States for banning social media apps. Maybe that's this one because it's Chinese government owned, but what if there was a different government in place and it didn't like truth social? Could it ban that? Probably not on First Amendment grounds or other legal grounds, but again, we're we're starting down a slippery slope. There, I think there are significant constitutional First Amendment arguments over whether banning an app, although it's not content itself, that's tantamount to content. So is that okay under the First Amendment? Not at all clear. As I mentioned, there's already the political reality of taking something away from 100 million Americans. 
it perpetuates our sort of ad hoc approach to technology where we do one-off decisions about one particular type of app. And I think that's not from a policy point of good. And then finally, and most importantly, we can explore this later. I think there are other solutions available to manage the risk that I've described that don't give rise to the problems I just described and that mostly, not perfectly, but mostly address the national security risks. Let's go back to the testimony by Ms. Pappas. I'm going to assume for a minute that she doesn't or she couldn't possibly have knowledge of the extent of China's intelligence collection machine, which is a behemoth, and that if there is a fix to TikTok in terms of CCP access to user data, I mean, ESPERS, you know, U.S. person's data, I'm not sure that I have heard anyone describe that meaningfully. I hear you kind of moving in that direction here and making some reasonable suggestions. But what would that fix look like? And let me let me lob a grenade a little bit in your direction. I mean, the truth be told, the Chinese government has just taken back portions of some of their major companies. ByteDance being one of them, but not one that we're aware of them having taken back. But as you know, Jack Moss, the CEO and founder of Alibaba, disappeared for a couple of months, resurfaced again. And then the Chinese government has exercised apparently their legal authority to take some portion of that company. And they've done the same thing with Tencent, which helped me, Glenn. I mean, would you characterize that as like their big Microsoft or something? Very so in terms of company. Yeah. yeah, big one. And these are not, I mean, can you imagine something like this where, you know, Bill Gates disappears for a couple of months, he comes back, he's very quiet, and the government sort of takes over part of Microsoft. I mean, it's unthinkable. With it's all of that bad, in mind. It's almost as bad as being an oligarch in uh, Russia and having some problems with windows, apparently, and balconies. Yes. Windows, stairs, hospital beds near windows. Somehow they get very close to the window. You fall out of the bed and out of the window. But, you know, I guess the point is it's not a level playing field, you know, even though we want to go on the higher ground. So what would a fix look like? And again, you know, understanding everything that you say is correct. And I really think the analog of prohibition is especially significant in the last five days when we've heard that the Chinese government is now taking steps to try to reverse what they're describing as social media addiction. You know, I guess I've read all the books right now about the dopamine fix we're seeing that everybody's getting from these things. So what is a fix to the CCP access to United States persons, or as we call them in our national security world, USPRS data. Also with the sort of the backdrop being that a lot of what they're interested in are probably the people living here who are Chinese American who don't love the regime back there. And, and they may have a more targeted interest in those individuals. How big, how narrow, what would work? Based Because you've had a lot of experience dealing with what seem like big ideas that then have to be implemented, and it doesn't always work so well. Sure. So I think a flat ban presents all sorts of problems, which we just described, legal, political, policy, precedent, geopolitical, et cetera. So, and, and you just mentioned some additional facts about how China is so unattractive to make a great understatement in terms of its dealing with its own industry and employees and social media and its tech sector. And so the the contrast between the US and China couldn't couldn't possibly be greater. And that contrast presents us in a very good light. At the far extreme is doing nothing, which is what we've sort of done for the last two years. That doesn't sound like a good idea either. either. So what are we going to do? Well, today there was a hearing, a, a committee markup in the House Foreign Affairs Committee, which is actually occurring right as we are recording this podcast 
in examining one bill that Chairman Mike McCall has proposed, which would provide some amendments to the International Economic Powers Act to give the president the power, should the president exercise it, to ban TikTok. Other members of Congress have proposed other solutions. Senator Hawley and Congressman Buck have proposed a flat ban. Senator Mark Warner, the head of the Senate Select Intelligence Committee, is coming up with a broader, more diffuse program that would overall uh, address transactions with national security implications. So there's a lot of movement on the legislative side. I think ultimately there are two or three ways we can handle this. One is the various proposals that I just described, these legislative proposals. They all have problems. We could examine some of them, but they all have problems in one form or another. They're not perfect solutions. Ultimately, what we need is a bigger fix here, which is a base privacy legislation. If we had, like almost every other industrial democracy, baseline privacy legislation that said what kind of data could be collected by social media companies, how that data could be stored, how and whether you have a right to correct it or fix it, who it could be sold to, how it could or could not be exported outside the country, all of that, if that was covered by some kind of baseline privacy legislation, something similar to the GDPR that the European Union has, although I am not advocating we adopt that particular piece of statute, but nonetheless, if, if we had something like that, then that would at least address one concern, the user data being siphoned off to China and, and collected in the first place and then being potentially siphoned off to China. Um, it wouldn't address the disinformation piece. We can talk about that too. A more narrow fix tailored specifically to TikTok is what's underway right now, which is for the past two years, TikTok and the United States government, through something called the Committee on Foreign Investment in the United States, has been negotiating a solution to the risk presented by TikTok, which arise technically from the fact that ByteDance acquired a US company called Musical.ly in order to bring TikTok into the United States. So that acquisition by a foreign entity, ByteDance, triggered the applicability of CFIUS, which was able to come in here and say, originally President Trump proposed that they divest completely of this and, and ban. That didn't go anywhere given court actions. But it's entirely possible that CFIUS and TikTok could come to an agreement that would be accepted by the Biden administration, which it has not yet fully accepted that, that would provide a series of protections on both the user data being siphoned off to China and disinformation being promoted on the network. And that's the goal of this consensual negotiation between TikTok and CFIUS, which, as I said, has not yet been adopted and may never be adopted. I want to push back on that just a little bit, which is CFIUS doesn't develop, it doesn't erect a building in which something lives and is limited in a particular way. They have things like mitigation monitoring agreements that then government lawyers and investigators have to make sure that companies are in compliance with a mitigation agreement. You know, I think quite candidly, you know, a lot of these companies just sort of wait until interest wanes in a thing and then they do whatever they want. I think that puts back in the hands of the government and the hands of a very few number of individuals in agencies that are CFIUS agencies like the Justice Department, the Treasury, Energy Department, the responsibility of monitoring this behemoth out of China to make sure that it's doing what it's supposed to do, that it's complying with whatever sort of agreement they have with the government. So I, I wonder your reaction to that. I, I see that sounds great. But what do you think long term? Is that a doable solution? 
In this particular case, yes. I certainly recognize the points you make, and I wouldn't paper over them at all. There definitely is a concern about companies that evade CFIUS restrictions and other other restrictions imposed by the United States government in the in the national security area, export controls, et cetera. So there's no no question we need to be vigilant in this area. But in this particular case, because of the vast amount of attention that's been paid to it by the United States government over a two-year period of bringing in top people from multiple agencies, including, I might add, the intelligence community, um, I think a great deal of thought has been given to what they're calling Project Texas, this, this very, very detailed, comprehensive program promoted or being negotiated by both TikTok and CFIUS. I have no interest in it. I'm not a sponsor of it. I have no connection to it. So I'm I'm just simply basing my comments on what we've read uh, publicly. It does to me sound like it has the potential for bringing the risks down, not to zero, but to a very manageable level, given that we're already going to be banning the device from government phones and military phones. So we're talking about the rest of the population and balancing the public's interest in this app and the risks that it present, which are not minimal, but I wouldn't necessarily say they're imminent. And it's not at all clear what the strategic value of them would be if China were to go ahead and try to exercise its power in this area. But again, I'm not going to say it's not zero. And I might also add that as a broad general matter, the history of, of CFIUS guarding our national security concerns is pretty good. We don't have too many cases of evasion or where CFIUS agreements fall apart and aren't being implemented. I think most people, most observers would say that this is by and large work. It's very time intensive, very consuming of government resources. So maybe it's not the ideal solution, but I, I do think it's worked. And what is being proposed is to have a board of directors that would report directly to CFIUS, not to ByteDance, not to TikTok, that would oversee the operations of TikTok in the United States, which would be carved out of the operations from, from China. The data would be kept in US servers by Oracle, an American company. There would be overseers and independent auditors who would take a look and confirm compliance with this. So I think overall, the package as it's been described in the press sounds like a pretty good, reasonable compromise. Is it perfect? No. Can we absolutely positively guarantee that the Chinese won't cheat? No. Are there safeguards in place to help minimize and bring that risk down to very, very manageable? Yes. And my own view is having sat at the NSA and seen the very, very serious threats that China presents, I would say if we could adopt that particular solution for TikTok, ban it from government phones, implement the CFIUS solution, I would say we've got a lot of many, many other things to worry about China before I would then have to worry about the what I would view as somewhat manageable, largely manageable risks presented by this compromise. We're not finished with TikTok because CEO Xu Chu will be testifying before Congress in March before the House of Representatives Energy and Commerce Committee, which, by the way, is a different committee than the one that Ms. Pappas testified before. That's going to happen this month on March 23rd. Now, to be frank, it's my opinion that we are in an era of especially performative politics where grandstanding and scolding have taken the place of meaningful questions by members in hearings. If members of the Energy and Commerce Committee were not in a state of unending fundraising for the next two-year campaign cycle, and they really wanted to find out more about TikTok and what, if any, solutions to the TikTok problem would work, what questions should they be posing to the CEO, Chu? 
I suspect you're probably right that we're going to see a hearing on March 23rd with uh, Mr. Chu that is going to have some fireworks. I'm sure there will be members of the House of Representatives who will be pounding the table. And and as we heard at in House Foreign Affairs hearing, one of the statements was that TikTok represents a Chinese spy balloon in every phone. And I think you're probably going to hear those kinds of very exciting sound bites, but that doesn't really advance the argument. And so you're going to hear a little bit of that. But I think you'll also hear a very honest attempt to try to get information from CEO Chu about TikTok's corporate structure, and most importantly, how TikTok would comply with this Project Texas. And I think you'll hear questions, and there should be questions, to say, if if the United States government through CFIUS goes ahead with this plan, will you honor it? How can you prove that you'll honor it? What are you telling China? Does the PRC government have to approve this? Is ByteDance going to get approval? What assurances can you give to Congress, CFIUS, and ultimately the American public that you'll abide by this compromise solution with the understanding that if you don't and we catch you cheating or we catch you spreading disinformation after you tell us you won't or stealing user data after you tell us you won't, we're going to lower the boom on you and the TikTok is going to be flatly banned from the country. So Mr. Chu, you know what the consequences are. So let's have your honest, candid opinion. I would say that I think Congress should recognize, they, they probably won't get into it too deeply at this hearing, but Congress should recognize that this TikTok problem isn't the last of these. We're going to have more social media apps that present national security concerns. We already know about disinformation on just domestic apps. We're not doing a great job of addressing that. That's very problematic. Um, but more broadly, the onrush of technology in the last 10 or 15 years has simply outpaced our policy and laws. I'm hardly the first person to note this. Many others have too. And it's presenting national security challenges because these technologies present, in addition to wonderful benefits for us, also challenges to our national well-being for which we are underprepared or not prepared at all. And I think Congress, hopefully at that hearing and other hearings, will recognize this and start to move toward addressing that big deficiency. Well, I hope that's the case. And I, I'm not suggesting that that's a sunny optimism, but it would be nice if sort of these larger meta thoughts, and I don't mean meta the company, <laughs> but these bigger thoughts that you have vis-a-vis, -vis, you know, an overarching privacy structure, legal structure, and so on, would be something that Congress could get to and take seriously. I do say that I leave my conversation with you a little bit unsettled, though, because I think a little bit about Sun Tzu's art of war, what the goal was to sow discord in the enemy. And to your point, any social media application, any platform can be used to fan existing, and I do think these are existing differences between Americans and weaken us. And I think we're already seeing a little bit of that right now in terms of the timing of Putin's invasion of Ukraine. I do think he made some sort of a risk assessment in his own mind and saw us as weakened after some of the big divisions that have surfaced in this country. And I sincerely hope we can put those to bed and get back to the business of being part of the social contract and what is the greatest democracy in the history of the world. So I'm really glad you came in. Do you have any final words that you would like to say before we leave tonight? And thank you for your time. No, thank you. Just to underscore that this is a politically difficult problem. I think we all recognize that today's politics makes it very hard to have 
a position where you could be accused of being soft on, on China. No, no politician wants to be in that position. But the fact of the matter is that we do depend on China. China is not a pure adversary. It's a important trading partner. Uh, last year, we had, I think, over $690 billion of mutual trade up dramatically from the prior year. It's a country that we we depend on. If uh, we couldn't get anything out of China, there wouldn't be anything in Walmart shelves. I'm not saying that's the sole reason to be nice to them, and I'm not suggesting we be nice to them for that reason. But the fact of the matter is we do have to live with a very, very difficult competitor that presents both opportunities and challenges, and we have to take a appropriately, carefully tailored approach to this particular problem. And I think that particular approach involves banning the device where appropriate from certain government and military phones, implementing some national security CFIUS approved regime, managing the risk and dealing with the many other problems that China presents us in a far more strategic way. I hope that's the route Congress goes down. We'll obviously see there's going to be a lot more fireworks over the next couple of months in this area. So obviously we all need to stay tuned. But thank you so much for, for giving me this opportunity to chat with you and your audience. Our guest tonight has been Glenn Gerstel, the former general counsel of NSA. We will include additional biographical details of him in the notes to our podcast. Thanks for listening to NSLT. Be sure to share this episode with a friend or a colleague and discuss the issues that we've discussed today. Do so thoughtfully, sharing ideas and different points of view. If you have feedback for us, please reach out to us on Twitter at ABA NATSEC, or you can contact us by email at nationalsecurityatamericanbar.org. Our producer and writer is Mia Lisa Potit, always here in my individual capacity. Our editor and my co-producer is Francis Berkham. Our program manager is Rebecca Salido, and my co-producer is Holly McMahon, as well as the incredible members of the Standing Committee on Law and National Security, without whom this podcast would not be possible. We'll talk to you next time. And when we do, we will be talking to the author of a book on China's very uneven efforts at foreign influence. Thank you for listening. The views expressed on national security law today have not been approved by the House of Delegates or the Board of Governors of the American Bar Association. And this recording should not be construed as representing ABA policies.